Welcome to Rabbi Michael Whitman's weekly podcast, Mining the Riches of the Parsha, where we discuss, using classic and modern sources, the insights of each Parsha that will make a difference in your life. There was a Jewish mother who sent a telegram to her children. And the telegram read, Start worrying, letter to follow. <laughs> So this is something that Marcy tries to teach me. I'm still trying to learn it. But she tries to teach me, don't worry about problems before they come. Because they may not come at all. So what's the point of worrying about something that you're not even sure is going to be a problem there are plenty of problems that are already here to worry about. Why worry about things that have not yet happened? So if you turn, please, to page 856. This week's portion is the Parsha Balak. The Jewish people are making their final entry approach to the land of Israel. They're coming from the east and there are several nations lined up from north to south on the eastern bank of the Jordan River, what today is Jordan. And these nations are in between the Jewish people and the land of Israel, so they have to pass through somewhere. And a theme of this week's portion and the next several portions is the struggle that the Jewish people have crossing through to get to the border of Israel. And they come up to a place, a nation of named Moab, and the king is a man named Balak. So Balak hears that the Jewish people are approaching and he is worried that they are going to conquer his land. So he needs to come up with a strategy to protect his nation from what he perceives to be this onslaught of the Jewish people. And the entire portion, the entire Parsha, is about the way in which he goes about trying to protect himself, his nation, from the approaching Jewish people. And his strategy is to hire this man named Bilaam. And Bilaam is a prophet. And he has the ability to either bless or to curse and for God, presumably, to listen to what Bilaam says. And he wants to hire Bilaam to curse the Jewish people so that they will not be successful in conquering his land. And then the narrative goes on that Bilaam attempts to curse the Jewish people, but he is not able to, and he ends up blessing them instead. So, it's an entire portion 
about how Balak, this king, is going to uh, deal with this threat that is coming at him. But here's the thing. The Jewish people were never a threat. All they wanted to do was pass through to get to the other side. Or if they were not allowed to pass through, to go around. The Jewish people had no interest in conquering the land of Moab. And Balak would have learned that if he would have simply, I don't know, sent messengers to say, what are your intentions? What are you planning? And they would have said, as they did say to other nations, we're not interested in your land. We just need to pass through. Let us go through. And the truth is that the portion that we're going to read in two weeks, the Parsha of Matos, will describe that the a neighboring nation of Midian went to war in order to protect their land because they had the same fear that the Jewish people were coming for the land, which they were not. But they went to war. So the Jewish people had to defend themselves. And, as we'll learn in the Parsha of Matos, the Jewish people were triumphant in that battle and they conquered the land of Midian and took that territory. And in fact, we will read later on that two and a half tribes decided to settle in that area on the eastern bank of the Jordan. But that was not part of God's plan. Had Midian not attacked the Jewish people, they would not have conquered them and they would not have taken their land. And it's clear from later on in the Torah that Moshe is not happy with the two and a half tribes settling on the eastern bank of the Jordan. That was not part of the original deal. That was not the plan. So this whole thing only came up because these nations were aggressive against the Jewish people while the Jewish people had only peaceful intentions toward them. And so, if Bullock simply not worried about a situation that was not a problem, nothing would have happened to him. He would have kept his kingdom. Everything would have been fine. It's only because he worried about a problem that did not exist that he created the situation in which his land ended up being conquered. And the truth is that the Jewish people did the same thing a little bit earlier. A few weeks ago, we read the parish of Shlach. It's earlier in the 40-year history where the Jewish people at that point were ready to go into the land of Israel and they sent spies. 
and the spies came back and they gave a negative report. The people there are too strong and we're not going to be able to succeed. And as you remember, Hashem was very angry with them. And that was the reason for the decree that they would have to wander in the desert for 40 years. But there too, the Jewish people had nothing to be afraid of. First of all, they had nothing to be afraid of because Hashem had promised them that He was going to give them the land of Israel. So it doesn't matter how strong those people appear to be. Hashem had already promised. There was no reason to worry about it. That's number one. But number two, I'm not going to say stronger, but on a different level, it's fascinating because we know what was going on on the other side at the same time. And that was the Haftorah. If you turn, please, to page 1184. Page 1184 is the Haftorah that we read a few weeks ago for the parish of Shlach. So this is a narrative from the, near the beginning of the book of Yoshua, of Joshua, who did cross over and, and lead the Jewish people into the land of Israel. So, Yoshua, before entering the land of Israel, also sent spies. You might think he would have remembered the terrible debacle of what happened when Moshe sent spies 38 years earlier, Yoshua, remember, was the only one, along with Kalev, who came back with a positive report, not a negative report. Okay, but he sent spies. And we have a narrative of what happened. Because we know that the first place that the Jewish people went to on entering the land of Israel, the first place they wanted to conquer was the city of Jericho, Jericho. Presumably where they crossed over the Jordan was near that city, which is just on the western bank of the Jordan. And they crossed over and that was the first place that they conquered. But they wanted a strategy of how to be able to conquer a fortified city because at that time, Jericho, Jericho was a walled city. It had a fortified wall around it. So these spies, they come and they find a woman whose name is Rachav. And Rachav, this woman, lived in a, uh, a home, a dwelling that was part of the wall of the city. So I guess like one side of her house faced the city and then the other side faced the outside. So she had access both to the city and to the outside. And these spies came to her and they said, we'd like to ask for you, you to help us capture your city. And she agrees. It's remarkable. She agrees. 
And there's a whole plan. You can read it later, or you remember from before, that she hides them, and the, the people in the city heard that they were spies, so they went looking for them. They come and ask her. She says, no, they left. And the spies go, the, the, the soldiers go out, out of the city to look for them. Meanwhile, they're hidden. Okay. And she helps them with this ruse. But what's remarkable is, I mean, why would she do that? She risked her life. Of course, the deal that she makes with them is, I'll help you on the condition that when you come with the entire people, you save me and my family. And, and they do. But why does she do that? So if you look, please, 1184, it's Pusik number Tess, number 9. It's about 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 lines from the bottom, near the bottom. Pusik number Tess. Vatomer el So she says to them, these spies, in explaining why she's agreeing to help them, she says, Yadati, I already knew that you, the Jewish people, are going to conquer the land of Israel. We have been terrified of you. All of the inhabitants of this country have melted in front of you. No one is going to stand up to you. Pasuk number 10, Yud. Number 10, Kishamanu, because we heard about what was going on with you over these past years. We heard that you have a God and He split the Red Sea. And you, How in the world are we going to hold out against the people that is led by a God who splits the Red Sea? Forget it, we gave up. There's no way. The bottom line, Vanishma Vayimas Lavavenu. We heard what happened; our hearts melted. And top of the next page, eleven eighty-five. There is not a single man, not a single soldier that has the courage to even begin to stand up against you. Because your God is obviously the one true God, creator of heaven and earth, who can do whatever He decides. And He has said that He's giving you, the Jewish people, the land, so we're finished. There's no hope. So, <laughs> on the Jewish side, right, these Miraglin, these spies came back to Moshe and Aaron and the Jewish people, and they said, uh, they're too strong. We'll never make it. But <laughs> listen to what they're saying on the other side. They're saying, we're not even going to try to defend ourselves. We know you're going to succeed. And look at the bottom, the bottom line on uh, 1185. Pasuk uh, so after the spies work out the details of how they're going to be able to conquer, Pasuk Chav Gimel, near the bottom of the page 23, V'yashuvu shnei ha'anashim, V'yerdemi ahar, V'yavru, V'yavu, Yoshua ben Nun, 
they came back to Yoshua. They told Yoshua everything that had happened on their journey. And they said to Yoshua, God has given it to us. We have no problem. There is no reason to be upset or worried or fearful. Because we heard from them. They're not even going to try. Not only were they saying to Yoshua that we will succeed, but it is obvious that there was never any reason to worry about it to begin with. Now, yes, it's true. If you have a situation, you need to figure out how you're going to meet the situation. You need strategy, you need forethought, yes. But so much energy we expend worrying about problems that never materialize. And we see Balak doing it, we see the Jewish people doing it, and and look at what happens. I mean the, the narrative of the of the Miraglim of the spies that changes the whole arc of of the narrative. And Balak, because he worried unnecessarily, he lost his kingdom. And the truth is that this has been scientifically proven. It's amazing. There are researchers a few years ago at Cornell University did a study. It's amazing. So in this study, they asked subjects to write down their worries over a period of time and then to go back and look at what they had written and identify which of the things that they were worried about actually came to pass. Here's what they found. It's unbelievable. 85% of everything that people worried about never happened. Didn't happen. Wait a second. Hold on. I'm not finished. Hold on. Of the 15% that did happen, 79% of them found that either that they were able to handle it much better than they thought they were going to be able to handle it or they found a benefit in what happened that they appreciated afterwards instead of it being negative. There was a man a long time ago named Michel de Montaigne and he said, this is 500 years ago, he said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. <laughs> if we could 
train ourselves to withhold from worrying about things that have not yet happened, our lives would be different. And whenever you start to worry about something that is not yet a problem, just think about this week's Parsha. Just think about Balak and what he lost because he worried about a problem that did not yet exist. Okay. So, there's something unique about this portion. It is the only parsha from the beginning of Shemos which starts to deal with the Jewish people until the end of the Torah. It is the only parsha where the Jewish people are not the actors. They play no role in the entire portion. The entire narrative is about Balak and hiring Bilam and Bilam trying to curse the Jews, but he ends up blessing them. But so yes, the Jewish people are the subject of the parsha, but they are not the actors. They're not the participants. It's the only portion. They play no role. We've discussed a number of times the prayer that we say in the Amidah every time we pray. The paragraph of Modim. We give thanks to Hashem. Modim and Achnulach, we we thank you, we show our gratitude. And we say in that paragraph that you do, God, you do miracles for us. Bechol Every moment. Erev, Vavoker, Vitzarayim. In the evening, in the morning, in the afternoon. Every minute you're doing miracles for us. A great scholar of the previous century, Rabbi Yeruchim Lubavitz, says, I mean, it seems kind of simple, but we need to reinforce it. If you're going to pray, you have to at least believe the words that you're saying. What does it mean that God is doing miracles for us every moment of every day. What what do we mean? What is it that we believe? Do we actually believe that? So I heard something very interesting from Rabbi Mark Penner. And this is a a great suggestion. I try to do this now since I heard it from him. What he does is when he says these words in Modim, in the middle of the Amidah, in the middle of the paragraph, Modim, Shabachol Eis Erev Avokavitzarayim, he pauses for five seconds and he listens to his heartbeat. 
miracle. Every moment. Every night, every morning, every afternoon. Heart keeps beating. It's an amazing miracle. Let me share a more dramatic answer. There's a very interesting article in the news a few weeks ago. Mossad, Israel's security service, announced that over the past three years, they have prevented more than 50 ISIS terrorist attacks. Okay, it's the Mossad. So, I mean, by definition, you don't know about it. But here's the thing. At any moment of our lives, we have a very limited perspective. There are things going on that we don't know about that we may never know about. But they're happening. There's a verse in Tehillim, and we say this is part of Hallel. And the verse goes like this. Halua Hashem kol goyim. All the nations of the world praise God. Shabhu kol umim. All of the countries praise God. Because God's kindness and compassion is rendered to the Jewish people. So the commentators ask, if God is compassionate and kind to the Jewish people, why are the other nations praising God for that? Why should they be praising God for that? A number of commentators give the following answer. Anti-Semitism, unfortunately, is not a new phenomenon. It has existed for millennia. <coughs> People tried to harm us. You know, like Richard Nixon said, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're, they could still be trying to get you. Nations of the world plot against the Jewish people. Never, God forbid. But then they see, we don't even know about it. They see that God intervened and protected and saved the Jewish people. So when they see that their plans to try to attack us are foiled, they recognize Wow, God, you're really protecting this Jewish people? At any moment, there are things that might be happening to us. We may never even know about it, but Hashem is protecting us. What were the Jewish people doing during this week's portion? Nothing. Nothing. 
it's possible, we don't know, it's possible they didn't even know about it. Bilaam doesn't make any contact with them. I mean, the narrative has Bilaam like on a mountain overlooking, you know, and he sees them and he does what he does. He's far away. He's not close. The Jewish people presumably, possibly, were oblivious to the entire portion. They may not have known about it until it was finally written down in the Torah. And they said to themselves, oh my goodness, look what could have happened to us. But nothing happened. It's a tremendous lesson if you read this parsha and put yourself in the position of the Jewish people for a moment. It leads to a uh, an awareness of being grateful to Hashem at every moment. And we don't even know a lot of what might have happened or could have happened. But Hashem protects us anyway. And we have to be able to be aware and to thank Hashem not only for what we know about, but even perhaps more so for what we don't even know about. That Hashem prevents us from having to even worry about. Okay. So, Bilam wants to curse the Jewish people. That's what he was hired for. Of course, God says to him, listen, you're only going to be able to say what I allow you to say. You're not an independent actor here. <clears throat> and Bilaam attempts to curse the Jewish people. And again and again, and he is unsuccessful. And then finally, instead of cursing them, he blesses them. And if you turn, please, to page 870. Page 870, near the top of the page, the third line. And we know that this is a blessing because Balak, who hired him, is very upset with him. And Balak says to him a little bit later, I hired you to curse the Jewish people. Why would you bless them? And here's the blessing that he gives. Famous words. You see them written on the outside of our building and many other synagogues. Pasuk number hey, number five. Matovu Alecha Yaakov. How beautiful are your tents, Jacob. Referring to the Jewish people, how beautiful are your homes, your dwelling places. Matovu Alecha Yaakov. Let me ask you just a simple question. A blessing? How is this a blessing? Meaning, a blessing is you should live a long life, you should have good health, you should find your mate, you should, you know, something good should happen to you. That's a bracha, that's a blessing. This sounds 
more like a description, right? Your homes are beautiful. Our sages explain. Yeah, our sages explain what he was referring to was the fact that he saw the layout of the encampment of the Jewish people and he saw that each tent allowed privacy for the tent next door. It allowed for shalom bias, harmony within the home. And it allowed for uh, strong Jewish families and Jewish home life. All right, it's very nice, but it's a description, a compliment. How is that a blessing? So I want to share with you very briefly two related answers. The first answer is based on an insight, not on this parsha, on another parsha, but it's relevant here, of Rabbi Samson Rafal Hirsch. Rabbi Samson Rafal Hirsch says, the greatest blessing you can give to another person is to describe what makes that person special. When you are able to describe what makes another person special, you are giving them one of the most valuable gifts that you understand them, that you recognize what is special about them, that you appreciate what is unique about them. And that is a gift that is rare. That's something that is very, very valuable. Bilam understood he was able to see and appreciate and understand that the greatest strength of the Jewish people is the Jewish home. Jewish families. The potential, of course, not every single person lives up to it. Of course. And it's a struggle sometimes. But we try. But it is a hallmark of the Jewish people, again, going back for millennia. The concept of shalom bias, of harmony within the home, where each spouse is directed to show greater honor to the other than they show to themselves. The concept of being sensitive to another person's right to privacy. Those features are part of what has made the Jewish home, the Jewish family, the strongest institution within the Jewish people. Judaism is transmitted. Yes, there are synagogues. There are schools. They do very important things. But they are not as central as the Jewish family. What we learn growing up in our homes is much more integral to who we are than any other experience we're going to have. And Bilaam saw that. And he appreciated that. And that's the bracha. The bracha is that he recognized what is special about the Jewish people. Now, part number two is overlapping that. And that is the bracha, the blessing that Bilaam was giving was that it should always be this way. 
And that, of course, is a challenge because it's not easy. It's a challenge of every single marriage, every single family, every single home to be that kind of a family, to create that kind of a home that is able to live up to being accurately described by the words Matovu Olech Yaakov. Sivan Rahab Meir points out that for us, we always read this portion somewhere near the beginning of summer, which for many of us is a time of challenge within the home, especially if you have young children. During the year, they're in school. But in the summer, they're at home. Okay, so maybe you send them to camp. But the challenge is, during the summer, some children, they get bored, they... um, questions of boundaries. Sometimes there's arguing at home. And, on top of everything else, it's hot. It's a challenge. She says, the home is the real place in which a person is tested. And that is very, very true. Because every single one of us I'm pointing the finger to myself first. Every single one of us. We have public personae. We have a, a mask or a disguise or how we appear in public. Very often, there is little connection between the person we are in public and the person we are at home. And how we are in our own home is where our character is revealed. Because many people are very different at home in private than they are in public. At home... You can't wear a disguise 24 hours a day. And the people in your family are going to see the real you eventually. The home is, in her words, a constant workshop in self-perfection. It is the place where we have the opportunity to constantly work on making ourselves better people, not just the way we appear in public, but the way we really are. And that's the challenge. The bracha that we receive from Bilam is to live up to that challenge. It's not easy work, it's hard work. But when we read this bracha, We need to take it as it is intended 
as a challenge to live up to. Does our home still match the description that Bilam gives us? I want to share one last piece. And this is actually about next week's portion. We're going to miss being together for a number of uh, partios, but I want to share one thing. It relates to something that, that I said a couple of weeks ago. If you turn, please, next week's Parsha is the Parsha of Pinchas. So if you turn, please, to page 888. I'm sorry? 888. 888. So next week's Parsha is the moment that Moshe receives the most personally devastating, disappointing news from God of his entire life. Top of the page, 888, Pasuk number 12, Yudbez. God says to Moshe, Go to the the top of this mountain. He's on the eastern bank of the Jordan. So go to the top of the mountain and look out across the Jordan to the land that I'm giving to the Jewish people. I'm going to allow you to see it, but then, but then you're going to pass away. You're not going in. So I'm going to let you see it from afar, but then your life is going to end. You are not going into the land of Israel like your brother Aaron did not go into the land of Israel. He had passed away a few months before. Pasuk Yudalit 14 Kasher Marisem Pi B'mibartzin B'merivas Ha'eda Lakdisheni B'amoyim Le'nehem Because you rebelled concerning the water May Mariva, that's what we discussed last week. Moshe sinning with, presumably, hitting the rock instead of speaking the rock or how he spoke to the Jewish people. We discussed that last week. But because of that, you're not going into the land of Israel. The dream that Moshe had his entire life, gone, taken away. Now, Later, we are going to see in the Torah in a few weeks, Moshe's response. Moshe's response is the Eschanan El Hashem, the Parsha of Eschanan, coming up in a few weeks. The Eschanan El Hashem, and I begged God, please change your mind, allow me to go in. And God responds and says, no, 
Final answer, no. We discussed that passage a few weeks ago. But that response of Moshe is later. It's in several partios from now and chronologically it's later. But what is Moshe's immediate response? I mean, just imagine to yourself for a moment. I mean, God forbid, it should never happen. But at the moment that you hear the absolute worst news of your entire life, at that moment, once you think about it, once it sinks in, once you think it through, then you might have a different response, like Veskana. But what's the immediate response? Right away, first thing, worst news of your entire life ever. Pasuk Tesvav. Next, next words. Vayedaber Moshe el Hashem lemor. Moshe says to God, immediately, right away, first response, upon hearing this news for the first time. Yifkod Hashem Please God, appoint someone to lead the people. And it should be someone, Pasuk Yudzayin, number 17, Asher Yetzi someone who will take them out and bring them in and be, be sensitive and be empathetic and take care of them and make sure you appoint the best possible leader. If it's not going to be me, let's take care of this right now. First response. Incredible. Later he does beg God to change his mind, right? The Eskanan. He does beg for himself. But his immediate response let's make sure the Jewish people are taken care of. It cannot be that the Jewish people will be like a flock of sheep that has lost its shepherd. You're telling me I'm finished? Let's take care of the Jewish people. It's an amazing lesson in leadership. To be able, at the at, at a moment of the greatest crisis, that your first response is not about yourself. It's about your flock. It's about your people. It's about others. Your family. Those who depend on you. It's incredible. And it that is. That is the quality of leadership that makes Moshe the greatest leader the Jewish people has ever had. It's not that he didn't think about himself. Later he did. But that was second. First is to worry about worry about the people. If you could try to do that, then you'd be Moshe. But that's the quality of the greatest leader that the Jewish people has ever had.